Section four of Four Stories by Louisa May Alcott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Diana Schmidt. Four Stories by Louisa May Alcott. By Louisa May Alcott. Mountain Laurel and Maiden Hair. Here's your breakfast, miss. I hope it's right. Your mother showed me how to fix it and said I'd find a cup up here. Take that blue one. I have not much appetite and can't eat if things are not nice and pretty. I like the flowers. I've been longing for some ever since I saw them last night. The first speaker was a red-haired, freckle-faced girl in a brown calico dress and white apron with a tray in her hands and an air of timid hospitality in her manner. The second a pale, pretty creature, in a white wrapper and blue net, sitting in a large chair, looking about her with the languid interest of an invalid in a new place. Her eyes brightened as they fell upon a glass of rosy laurel and delicate maiden hair fern that stood among the toast and eggs, strawberries and cream on the tray. Our laurel is just in blow, and I'm real glad you come in time to see it. I'll bring you a lot, as soon's ever I get time to go for it. As she spoke, the plain girl replaced the ugly crockery cup and saucer with the pretty china ones pointed out to her, arranged the dishes, and waited to see if anything else was needed. What is your name, please? asked the pretty girl, refreshing herself with a draught of new milk. Rebecca, mother thought I'd better wait on you. The little girls are so noisy and apt to forget. Wouldn't you like a pillar to your back? You look so kind of feeble, seems as if you wanted to be propped up a mite. There was so much compassion and good will in the face and voice that Emily accepted the offer and let Rebecca arrange a cushion behind her. Then, while the one ate daintily, and the others stirred about an inner room, the talk went on, for two girls are seldom long silent when together. I think the air is going to suit me, for I slept all night and never woke till Mama had been up ever so long and got things all nicely settled, said Emily, graciously, when the fresh strawberries had been enjoyed and the bread and butter began to vanish. I'm real glad you like it. Most folks do if they don't mind it being plain and quiet up here. It's gayer down at the hotel, but the air ain't half so good, and delicate folks generally like our old place best, answered Becky as she tossed over a mattress and shook out the sheet with a brisk, capable air pleasant to see. I wanted to go to the hotel, but the doctor said it would be too noisy for me, so Mama was glad to find rooms here. I didn't think a farmhouse could be so pleasant. That view is perfectly splendid. And Emily sat up to gaze delightedly out of the window, below which spread the wide intervale through which the river ran with hayfields on either side, while along the green slopes of the hills lay farmhouses with garden plots and big barns waiting for the harvest, and beyond, the rocky, wooded pastures dotted with cattle and musical with cowbells, brooks, and birds. A balmy wind kissed a little color into the pale cheeks, 
the listless eyes brightened as they looked and the fretful lines vanished from lips that smiled involuntarily at the sweet welcome nature gave the city child come to rest and play and grow gay and rosy in her green lap becky watched her with interest and was glad to see how soon the newcomer felt the charm of the place for the girl loved her mountain home and thought the old farmhouse the loveliest spot in the world when you get stronger i can show you lots of nice views round here there's a woodsy place behind the house that's just lovely down by the laurel bushes is my favorite spot and among the rocks is a cave where i keep things handy when i get a resting spell now and then and want to be quiet can't get much at home when there's boarders and five children round in vacation time becky laughed as she spoke and there was a sweet motherly look in her plain face as she glanced at the three little redheads bobbing about the dooryard below where hens cackled a pet lamb fed and the old white dog lay blinking in the sun i like children we have none at home and mamma makes such a baby of me i'm almost ashamed sometimes i want her to have a good rest now for she has taken care of me all winter and needs it you shall be my nurse if i need one but i hope to be so well soon that i can see to myself it's so tiresome to be ill and emily sighed as she leaned back among her pillows with a glance at the little glass which showed her thin face and shorn head it must be i never was sick but i have taken care of sick folks and have a sight of sympathy for em mother says i make a pretty good nurse being strong and quiet answered becky plumping up pillows and folding towels with a gentle dispatch which was very grateful to the invalid who had dreaded a noisy awkward serving-maid never ill how nice that must be i'm always having colds and headaches and fusses of some kind what do you do to keep well rebecca asked emily watching her with interest as she came in to remove the tray nothing but work i haven't time to be sick and when i'm tuckered out i go and rest over yonder then i'm all right and buckle to again as smart as ever and every freckle in becky's rosy face seemed to shine with cheerful strength and courage i'm tuckered out doing nothing said emily amused with the new expression and eager to try a remedy which showed such fine results in this case i shall visit your pet places and do a little work as soon as i am able and see if it won't set me up now i can only dawdle doze and read a little will you please put those books here on the table i shall want them by and by emily pointed to a pile of blue and gold volumes lying on a trunk and becky dusted her hands as soon as she took them up with an air of reverence for she had read on the backs of the volumes names which made her eyes sparkle do you care for poetry asked emily surprised at the girl's look and manner guess i do don't get much except the pieces i cut out of papers but i love em and stick em in an old ledger and keep em down in my cubby among the rocks i do love that man's pieces they seem to go right to the spot somehow 
and Becky smiled at the name of Whittier, as if the sweetest of our poets was a dear old friend of hers. I like Tennyson better. Do you know him? asked Emily with a superior air, for the idea of this farmer's daughter knowing anything about poetry amused her. Oh, yes, I've got a number of his pieces in my book, and I'm fond of them. But this man makes things so kind of true and natural, I feel at home with him. And this one I've longed to read, though I guess I can't understand much of it. His bumblebee was just lovely, with the grass and columbines and the yellow breeches of the bee. I'm never tired of that. And Becky's face woke up into something like beauty as she glanced hungrily at the Emerson while she dusted the delicate cover that hid the treasures she coveted. I don't care much for him, but Mama does. I like romantic poems and ballads and songs. Don't like descriptions of clouds and fields and bees and farmers, said Emily, showing plainly that even Emerson's simplest poems were far above her comprehension as yet because she loved sentiment more than nature. I do, because I know him better than love and the romantic stuff most poetry tells about, but I don't pretend to judge. I'm glad of anything I can get. Now, if you don't want me, I'll pick up my dishes and go to work. With that, Becky went away, leaving Emily to rest and dream with her eyes on the landscape which was giving her better poetry than any her books held. She told her mother about the odd girl, and was sure she would be amusing if she did not forget her place and try to be friends. She is a good creature, my dear, her mother's mainstay, and works beyond her strength, I am sure. Be kind to the poor girl, and put a little pleasure into her life if you can, answered Mrs. Spencer as she moved about, settling comforts and luxuries for her invalid. I shall have to talk to her as there is no other person of my age in the house. How are the school marms? Shall you get on with them, Mamma? It will be so lonely here for both of us if we don't make friends with someone. Most intelligent and amiable women, all three. And we shall have pleasant times together, I am sure. You may safely cultivate Becky. Mrs. Taylor told me she was a remarkably bright girl, though she may not look it. Well, I'll see, but I do hate freckles and big red hands and round shoulders. She can't help it, I suppose, but ugly things fret me. Remember that she has no time to be pretty, and be glad she is so neat and willing. Shall we read, dear? I'm ready now. Emily consented and listened for an hour or two while the pleasant voice beside her conjured away all her vapors with some of Mrs. Ewing's charming tales. The grass is dry now, and I want to stroll on that green lawn before lunch. You rest, Mama dear, and let me make discoveries all alone, proposed Emily, when the sun shone warmly and the instinct of all young creatures for air and motion called her out. So with her hat and wrap and book and parasol, she set forth to explore the new land in which she found herself. Down the wide creaking stairs and out upon the doorstone she went, pausing there for a moment to decide where first to go. The sound of someone singing in the rear of the house led her in that direction, 
and turning the corner she made her first pleasant discovery a hill rose steeply behind the farmhouse and leaning from the bank was an old apple tree shading a spring that trickled out from the rocks and dropped into a mossy trough below up the tree had grown a wild grapevine making a green canopy over the great log which served as a seat and someone had planted maidenhair ferns about both the seat and spring to flourish beautifully in the damp shady spot oh how pretty i'll go and sit there it looks clean and i can see what is going on in that big kitchen and hear the singing i suppose it's becky's little sisters by the racket emily established herself on the lichen-covered log with her feet upon a stone and sat enjoying the musical tinkle of the water with her eyes on the delicate ferns stirring in the wind and the lively jingle of the multiplication table chanted by childish voices in her ear presently two little girls with a great pan of beans came to do their work on the back doorstep a third was seen washing dishes at a window and becky's brown spotted gown flew about the kitchen as if a very energetic girl wore it a woman's voice was heard giving directions as the speaker was evidently picking chickens somewhere out of sight a little of the talk reached emily and both amused and annoyed her for it proved that the country people were not as stupid as they looked oh well we mustn't mind if she is notional and kind of wearing she's been sick and it will take time to get rid of her fretty ways just be pleasant and take no notice and that nice mother of hers will make it all right said the woman's voice how anybody with every mortal thing to be happy with can be out of sorts passes me she fussed about every pillar chair trunk and mite of food last night and kept that poor tired lady trotting till i was provoked she's right pleasant this morning though and as pretty as a picture in her ruffled gown and that blue thing on her head answered becky from the pantry as she rattled out the pie-board little dreaming who sat hidden behind the grapevine festoons that veiled the corner by the spring well she's got redder hair and we have so she needn't be so grand and try to hide it with blue nets added one little voice yes and it's ever so much shorter than ours and curls all over her head like daisy's wool i should think such a big girl would feel real ashamed without no braids said the other child proudly surveying the tawny mane that hung over her shoulders for like most red-haired people all the children were blessed with luxuriant crops of every shade from golden auburn to regular carrots i think it's lovely suppose it had to be cut off when she had the fever wish i could get rid of my mop it's such a bother and becky was seen tying a clean towel over the great knot that made her head look very like a copper kettle now fly round dearie and get them pies ready i'll have these fowls on in a minute and then go to my butter you run off and see if you can't find some wild strawberries for the poor girl soon's ever you are through with them beans children we must kind of pamper her up for a spell till her appetite comes back said the mother here the chat ended and soon the little girls were gone leaving becky alone rolling out pie crust before the pantry window as she worked her lips moved and emily still peeping through the leaves 
wondered what she was saying, for a low murmur rose and fell, emphasized now and then with a thump of the rolling pin. I mean to go and find out. If I stand on that wash bench, I can look in and see her. I'll show them all that I'm not fussy and can be right pleasant if I like. With this wise resolution, Emily went down the little path, and after pausing to examine the churn set out to dry and the row of pans shining on a neighboring shelf, made her way to the window, mounted the bench while Becky's back was turned, and pushing away the morning glory vines and scarlet beans that ran up on either side, peeped in with such a smiling face that the crossest cook could not have frowned on her as an intruder. May I see you work? I can't eat pies, but I like to watch people make them. Do you mind? Not a bit. I'd asked you to come in, but it's dreadful hot here and not much room, answered Becky, crimping round the pastry before she poured in the custard. I'm going to make a nice little pudding for you. Your mother said you liked them. Or would you rather have whipped cream with a mite of jelly in it? asked Becky, anxious to suit her new boarder. Whichever is easiest to make, I don't care what I eat. Do tell me what you were saying. It sounded like poetry, said Emily, leaning both elbows on the wide ledge, with a pale pink morning glory kissing her cheek, and a savory odor reaching her nose. Oh, I was mumbling some verses. I often do when I work. It sort of helps me along, but it must sound dreadfully silly, and Becky blushed as if caught in some serious fault. I do it, and it's great comfort when I lie awake. I should think you would want something to help you along. You work so hard. Do you like it, Becky? The familiar name, the kind tone, made the plain face brighten with pleasure as its owner said, while she carefully filled a pretty bowl with a golden mixture rich with fresh eggs and country milk. No, I don't, but I ought to. Mother isn't as strong as she used to be, and there's a sight to do, and the children to be brought up, and the mortgage to be paid off, so if I don't fly round, who will? We are doing real well now, for Mr. Walker manages the farm and gives us our share, so our living is all right. Then boarders in summer and my school in winter helps a deal, and every year the boys can do more. So I'd be a real sinner to complain if I do have to step lively all day. Becky smiled as she spoke and straightened her bent shoulders as if settling her burden for another trudge along the path of duty. Do you keep school? Why, how old are you, Becky? asked Emily, much impressed by this new discovery. I'm eighteen. I took the place of a teacher who got sick last fall, and I kept school all winter. Folks seem to like me, and I'm going to have the same place this year. I'm so glad, for I needn't go away, and the pay is pretty good, as the school is large, and the children do well. You can see the schoolhouse down the valley, that red brick one where the roads meet. And Becky pointed a flowery finger with an air of pride that was pleasant to see. Emily glanced at the little red house where the sun shone hotly in summer and all the winds of heaven must rage wildly in winter time, for it stood, as country schools usually do, in the barest, most uninviting spot for miles around. Isn't it awful down there in winter? 
she asked with a shiver at the idea of spending days shut up in that forlorn place with a crowd of rough country children pretty cold but we have plenty of wood and we are used to snow and gales up here we often coast down the whole lot of us and that is great fun we take our dinners and have games noon spells and so we get on first rate some of my boys are big fellows older than i am they clear the roads and make the fire and look after us and we are real happy together emily found it so impossible to imagine happiness under such circumstances that she changed the subject by asking in a tone which had unconsciously grown more respectful since this last revelation of becky's abilities if you do so well here why don't you try for a larger school in a better place oh i couldn't leave mother yet i hope to some day when the girls are older and the boys are able to get on alone but i can't go now for there's a sight of things to do and mother is always laid up with rheumatism in cold weather so much butter making down cellar is bad for her but she won't let me do that in summer so i take care of her in winter i can see to things night and morning and through the day she's quiet and sits piecing carpet rags and resting up for next spring we made and wove all the carpets in the house except the parlor one mrs taylor gave us that and the curtains and the easy chair mother takes a sight of comfort in that mrs taylor is the lady who first came to board here and told us and others about it said emily yes and she's the kindest lady in the world i'll tell you all about her some day it's real interesting now i must see to my pies and get the vegetables on answered becky glancing at the gay clock in the kitchen with an anxious look then i won't waste any more of your precious time may i sit in that pretty place or is it your private bower asked emily as she dismounted from the wash bench yes indeed you may that's mother's resting place when work is done father made the spring long ago and i put the ferns there she can't go rambling round and she likes pretty things so we fixed it up for her and she takes comfort there nights becky bustled off to the oven with her pies and emily roamed away to the big barn to lie on the hay enjoying the view down the valley as she thought over what she had seen and heard and very naturally contrasted her own luxurious and tenderly guarded life with this other girl's so hard and dull and narrow working all summer and teaching all winter in that dismal little schoolhouse with no change but home cares and carpet weaving it looked horrible to pleasure-loving emily who led the happy carefree life of girls of her class with pleasures of all sorts and a future of still greater luxury variety and happiness opening brightly before her it worried her to think of any one being contented with such a meagre share of the good things of life when she was unsatisfied in spite of the rich store showered upon her she could not understand it and fell asleep wishing every one could be comfortable it was so annoying to see them grubbing in kitchens teaching in bleak schoolhouses among snowdrifts and wearing ugly calico gowns a week or two of quiet country fare and the bracing mountain air worked wonders for the invalid 
and everyone rejoiced to see the pale cheeks begin to grow round and rosy, the languid eyes to brighten, and the feeble girl, who used to lie on her sofa half the day, now go walking about with her alpenstock, eager to explore all the pretty nooks among the hills. Her mother blessed Mrs. Taylor for suggesting this wholesome place. The tired schoolmarms, as Emily called the three young women who were their fellow boarders, congratulated her as well as themselves on the daily improvement in strength and spirits all felt. And Becky exulted in the marvelous effects of her native air, aided by mother's good cookery and the cheerful society of the children, whom the good girl considered the most remarkable and lovable youngsters in the world. Emily felt like the queen of this little kingdom, and was regarded as such by everyone, for with returning health she lost her fretful ways, and living with simple people soon forgot her girlish airs and vanities, becoming very sweet and friendly with all about her. The children considered her a sort of good fairy who could grant wishes with magical skill, as various gifts plainly proved. The boys were her devoted servants, ready to run errands, hitch up, and take her to drive at any hour or listen in mute delight when she sang to her guitar in the summer twilight. But to Becky she was a special godsend and comfort, for before the first month had gone they were good friends, and Emily had made a discovery which filled her head with brilliant plans for Becky's future, in spite of her mother's warnings and the sensible girl's own reluctance to be dazzled by enthusiastic prophecies and dreams. It came about in this way. Some three weeks after the two girls met, Emily went one evening to their favorite trysting place, Becky's Bower Among the Laurels. It was a pretty nook in the shadow of a great gray boulder near the head of the green valley, which ran down to spread into the wide intervale below. A brook went babbling among the stones and grass and sweet ferns, while all the slope was rosy with laurel, flowers in their times, as the sturdy bushes grew thickly on the hillside, down the valley, and among the woods that made a rich background for these pink and white bouquets, arranged with nature's own careless grace. Emily liked this spot, and ever since she had been strong enough to reach it, loved to climb up and sit there with a book and work enjoying the lovely panorama before her. Floating mists often gave her a constant succession of pretty pictures, now a sunny glimpse of the distant lake, then the church spire peeping above the hill, or a flock of sheep feeding in the meadow, a gay procession of young pilgrims winding up the mountain, or a black cloud heavy with a coming storm, welcome because of the glorious rainbow and its shadow which would close the pageant. Unconsciously, the girl grew to feel not only the beauty but the value of these quiet hours to find a new peace, refreshment, and happiness bubbling up in her heart as naturally as the brook gushed out among the mossy rocks and went singing away through the hayfields and gardens and by dusty roads till it met the river and rolled on to the sea. Something dimly stirred in her, and the healing spirit that haunts such spots did its sweet ministering till the innocent soul began to see that life was not perfect without labor as well as love, duty as well as happiness, and that true contentment came from within, 
not from without. On the evening we speak of, she went to wait for Becky, who would join her as soon as the after-supper chores were done. In the little cave which held a few books, a dipper, and a birch-bark basket for berries, Emily kept a sketching block and a box of pencils, and often amused herself by trying to catch some of the lovely scenes before her. These efforts usually ended in a humbler attempt, and a good study of an oak tree, a bit of rock, or a clump of ferns was the result. This evening the sunset was so beautiful she could not draw, and remembering that somewhere in Becky's scrapbook there was a fine description of such an hour by some poet, she pulled out the shabby old volume and began to turn over the leaves. She had never cared to look at it but once, having read all the best of its contents in more attractive volumes, so Becky kept it tucked away in the farther corner of her rustic closet, and evidently thought it a safe place to conceal a certain little secret which Emily now discovered. As she turned the stiff pages filled with all sorts of verses, good, bad, and indifferent, a sheet of paper appeared on which was scribbled these lines in schoolgirl handwriting. End of Mountain Laurel and Maiden Hair, Part 1 Recording by Diana Schmidt